It's, um, sure, it hardly feels like we've uh, been gone, but it's actually four months since we, since we left. Uh, just as a family, we are doing really, really well. Um, <clears throat> I was just saying to somebody the other day, I, I love Durban, I really do love Durban, but I, you know, whichever direction you look in Cape Town is just so beautiful. You know, we just see mountains all around us, and, uh, but the family is good, uh, we're well, and, uh, but good to, be, good to be here. All right, um, I actually didn't know it was a, um, a day of prayer in Bloemfontein or whatever, um, and, uh, but, uh, but what I've got I think fits in quite nicely with, uh, with what um, is going on and in terms of ourselves as, as believers and our country and the world in which we live uh, because it sure is a crazy, crazy, crazy world. Yeah, I don't know if, you, if, you, if any of you sometimes wake up and look at Sky News, uh, it, takes about 10, 15 minutes or not even, and you go, wow. Yeah, the problems that which we're facing just seem so insurmountable. Um, so um, we're going to just uh, get into a portion of Scripture that I've been um, contemplating over for about two months now, just playing with it, just allowing it to get into my mind, just thinking it over. Uh, but before we do that, I just want to share with you a story. Um, the 12th of March... 2011 um, would be a day uh, that's always strongly, strongly in my memory. Because on the 11th of March, 2011, who knows what happened? Something happened in our world. Wow, that's good. That's good. All right, that's fantastic. All right. uh, uh, That's even quicker than Google. um, yeah, the 11th of, uh, March, uh, the 11th of March 2011 was the tsunami. And I remember I was working with a company in Umschlange, and uh, they had a boardroom, and next to the boardroom was their little pub, which had a TV. And because of the events that were happening in Japan, uh, I had it quite a difficult time trying to keep them in the boardroom, because they kept wanting to go at any break. They'd go and sort of see what's going on. Um, just uh, astounded by the magnitude of, uh, of this, um, this earthquake and the potential repercussions. The following day, um, I was in a bank in um, Hillcrest. I won't mention the name, just in case there's any employees over here. And um, I'm so thankful these days for modern technology because you don't spend so much time in bank queues. Yeah? And this was a Saturday morning, and I was in this bank queue, and I was a little bit grumpy because, true to form, uh, there's this long, long queue, but there's hardly any tellers, even though there are multitude teller spaces. You get the picture? All right, so um, I'm grumpy. Uh, a Saturday morning bank queue is not what I want. Um, and so I complained to the guy in front of me, don't they know we're busy? Have you ever noticed uh, when you're grumpy, you will always quickly find a fellow grumpy passenger? It's, it's something about us. If you want to start a conversation, complain. Yeah, South Africans. Yeah. So, um, but, you know, you can only complain for a little while. So I send off a SMS to a dear friend of mine. Some of you know him, Dave Betts. And I say to Dave, Dave, can you believe it? This really sucks. I'm in this bank queue um, and on a Saturday morning. I don't know what I was thinking when I sent it to him. I got a response back from him uh, very, very quickly with the words, 
be remarkable. Now, Dave and I had started playing a little bit of a game, which we had called the remarkable game. Um, and it, it, really, it really went along these lines. Um, when you feel you want to complain, what is a remarkable response? Be happy. So let me put it to you. Oh, very rude. How do you be remarkable in a bank queue? Start chatting, be positive. Pray, talk about Jesus, yeah. Smile. Uh, I thought of being like Cliff Richard at Wimbledon and starting to sing. But, but here's the beauty about uh, this term, uh, remarkable, is it's forcing you to think. What is a different response? So I um, think to myself, uh, well, I've got, I've got a smartphone. I've got a phone that, where I can text. I haven't texted some of my friends for a long, long time. Let me text them something. What do I text on? Ah, yesterday was this big disaster. So I, I send this little, little SMS, and it goes something like this. Uh, wow, what a crazy, ridiculous world we live in. Above all, we must never lose hope and faith. So I start sending it off. And as I get closer to the till, more people get it. Get to, the, get to the teller, do my stuff, and as I'm walking out the bank, um, I get a phone call from one of the friends that I've just sent the message to, Dean. Hey, Dean, how's it? Answer the phone. Dean doesn't answer. Uh, Dean's on the other side. It's, it's a lady's voice. She says in a very, very stern way, Mike, Dean has just been involved in a tragic accident. He's in ICU fighting for his life, and we have just got your message, and it is bringing us hope. <laughs> yeah. All right. Be remarkable. There's a story in John chapter 8. Now, now let's just remember what the book of John uh, is, or, or some of the key features of the book of John. The book of John shares with us the heart of Messiah. And that's why we get so many intricate conversations that take place. And in the chapter 8, uh, we get another interesting story that doesn't appear in any of the other Gospels. It goes something like this. Uh, if we go back to uh, chapter 7, the end of chapter 7, there's a bit of a fight that is taking place. Is my sound coming through all right? Is it right? Yeah, okay. There's a, there's a bit of a fight that is taking place. The Pharisees, now for those of you who don't, uh, we often just coin the term Pharisees in church, and, and maybe some of us don't really know, well, what is a Pharisee? The Pharisees were, were very, very religious people. The Pharisees uh, were almost what we could call custodians of uh, ethical, good, moral, law-abiding behavior. And the law that uh, we really talk about here is, is the uh, Jewish law, um, which included the, um, uh, the laws from Moses, and then a whole lot of additional laws which were placed on, on the people as well. In essence, most of it very, very good. And some of it very, very, very demanding and laboring. Very, very hard. And the Pharisees, as being good, religious people, uh, would almost protect 
and ensure that these things were adhered to. They were followers. Um, they were people in today's world would find themselves in church. Um, read the Bible, pray. Uh, very, very, very um, rigorously. That's what we mean by Pharisees. Uh, all the connotations around them. There's a lot more to it. So the Pharisees are having a really, really, really um, deep conversation and battle. There's this rabbi, there's this teacher, there's this guy called Jesus. And he is um, doing things which they believe are not in line with the law. And most of all, he's proclaiming that he knows Father. All right, so now they begin to, in their mind, they have this outcome or they have this thought which says, he cannot be who he says he is. Regardless of the miracles that he does, regardless of the teachings, which is, which is great, regardless of the following, in their mind, he cannot be who he says he is. And they are out to find and prove that this is not the case. So Nicodemus comes to him at the end of uh, chapter 7, or it comes to the Pharisees, and says to the Pharisees, uh, we've got to give him a fair trial. And they say to Nicodemus, remember Nicodemus who had come to Jesus in John chapter 3, they say to him, um, uh, are, you, are you okay? Are you too losing your way? Nothing good can come from Galilee. So this is the context to the story now that takes place in uh, eight, John 8. So um, that night, um, Jesus goes away. He goes up into the, onto the Mount, Mount of Olives. Probably sleeps a bit, I'm sure, but prays, 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 yeah. He comes down the Mount of Olives early in that morning, and he begins to teach at the temple. A crowd of people begin to listen to him. So just get the setting. There's Jesus teaching. He's sitting down, just sitting down, teaching, and the Pharisees come with some ammunition. Here is a woman who has been caught in the act of adultery. In other words, she has blatantly broken the law of Moses. They say to him, they say, teacher. Just listen to the terminology, teacher. Moses' law says that we should stone such a one. What about the men? Yeah, caught in the act of adultery. Yeah, I... I yeah, all right. But you've got to remember, Dorothy, where they're coming from here. These guys are set on an outcome. They're set to destroy, to, to uh, discredit. Teacher, the law says, the law of Moses, even putting a bit more pressure on the situation, says we should stone such a one. What do you say that we should do? Now, this is a great, great trap. It really, really is a great, great trap. Because uh, Jesus is actually, whatever he does here, it's going to go wrong. Or so they think. If he says to, her, if, if he says to them, you're right, stone her. Suddenly, he will not be the friend of the sinner anymore. Remember, Jesus has already got a reputation. Suddenly, the people who are sitting around him and who are listening 
will recognize that he, Jesus, is just like them, the Pharisee. If he says, uh, no, we can't do that, he is publicly denying the law of Moses. What do you do? Have you ever found yourself in a situation similar to that where you say, whatever I do, this just goes south? What does he do? Bends down. Now, I don't know how long he bends down for because they say, and they carry on asking him. So he just bends down, starts writing in the sand, and they persist in asking him. He writes, they ask, he gets up, he says, whoever, is the, whoever has no sin, let him be the first to cast the stone. What do we notice happens afterwards? They slowly go away, starting with the oldest. (laughs) And by the way, Jesus has carried on writing. They slowly go away, starting with the oldest. Um, Jesus has done something incredibly profound here. He says, if you play this game, I can play it too. Because if one of them picks up a stone and throws it, they themselves are denying the law of Moses, or they themselves are denying the whole thing about God, uh, which says um, we need a sacrifice because we are guilty. And the oldest, uh, probably being the wisest, recognize this first. You can imagine the poor younger oaks sort of looking around slowly, but, oh, he's gone, he's gone, he's gone, I better go too. Right? I wonder what he wrote in the sand. We'll get there, Nana. Doesn't tell us. No, it doesn't tell us what he wrote in the sand. But I think we've got enough sort of hints uh, from what it might be. He looks at the woman and he says to her, Where are your accusers? She responds, Lord. They've all gone. She does something quite amazing here. She responds with the words, from a Jewish perspective, Yahweh. Do you know what she's just doing right now? She's saying, you can pick up a stone. Lord. She recognizes he is without sin. I don't know if I would have said, Lord. (laughs) Uh, She recognizes he is Lord. And in that moment, basically, not that he needs permission, he could pick up the stone. He responds and says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. Notice the difference in the two phrases here. The Pharisees come, they say, teacher. She responds, Lord. It's stuff here. 
So I love, the whole Bible, there's stuff, but in the Gospel of John, there's just, there's something here that John's getting at. I'm just wondering a little bit what, what it is. So for a couple of minutes, let's just play around with the different personalities we have here. As already mentioned, the Pharisees cannot be accused of not having passion. How many of you love the word passion? Yeah, I work with organizations and we often talk about, above all, we want passionate people. Live with passion. Well, the Pharisees certainly do have passion and they have passion to see that Jesus is not who he is. The problem with passion goes something like this. Um, You can be passionately going to to your death. You can passionately go about a wrong decision. Uh, even though we, we love the term passion. Now, a passion is, on the one hand, is good. But the challenge with passion can be something like this. We are so consumed with one thing that we fail to notice anything else. And that's a very, very dangerous place to be. I don't know whether it's my age. <laughs> and yeah, I feel like I'm getting older. Um, I am. <laughs> I am. But the older I get, um, maybe the wiser I get, but, but this is how my wiser works. Um, the wiser I get, the more I realize I don't know. Yeah, is there, are there, I hear some yeses. Um, it seems as if the wiser I get, the more I say, I don't know. And I actually find that a really, really good place to be. Um, sometimes say, I don't know. The Pharisees were so sure they knew. And they became zealots in an obsession to destroy Jesus no matter what. Paul says this. We see through a glass darkly. But one day, we sang a song today, I stand in awe of you, and the words go sort of along the lines of, um, this is crazy, this is, you're amazing, and I can't get you, I don't understand you, and I stand in awe of you. For us as believers in Jesus, and I'm going to really just put this out there, and and it it goes something like this. Um, We need to become very, very careful that we aren't the people who are the people who know everything. When we talk God, we talk spirit. God is spirit, Jesus said. He says, I I talk to you in in spiritual ways. And God is just so big and amazing that Jesus says we need to be like a child 
because we won't get this thing. Yeah? And one of the most liberating words I've found for myself as I've got older is, I don't know. But I have an assurance of faith. I don't know. People can come with all weird and wonderful questions um, and uh, say, yeah, I hear you. I don't know. But I have assurance of faith. That's what faith is all about. That which we can't see, but we hold on to. And as believers, and as we think of this country in which we're living in, part of, I wouldn't say repentance, but part of the thing which we need to come to is, sure. Yeah. When you find yourself so passionately needing to defend something, is maybe a little bit of a warning to you which says, God, I want the passion, but help my eyes to open up. Cool, let's look at the, um, the next step. So Jesus um, gets this, and he starts writing in the sand. So I say to myself, I wonder what he wrote. Maybe he wrote their names. Um, I've heard people say he, he wrote about all their partners' names who they had sinned against. And I was like, okay, okay. Uh, I don't think the Pharisees would probably quite be guilty of, the, of, of some of that stuff. Um, because, they, yeah, they were, they were the people we'd expect to find here. So possibly the story of salvation and stuff like that. Maybe. I would suggest that probably the simplest answer is, um, is, is what I'm just going to call perspective. What did Jesus always accuse the Pharisees of? He says, you try and take that little speck out of somebody's eye and forget the log that is in your own. Whatever he wrote, and I say we, we, we won't know, he wrote something on there which caused them to see something back. So the Bible says to us, do not commit adultery. They were accusing her of adultery. And probably they, the, the, way, the reason they felt comfortable to accuse her of adultery was they were okay. Ah, but what about the rest? What about the other parts of the law? What about do not covet? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. What about this? What about that? And as you look and you see the writings on the sand, it suddenly goes, yeah. Where we find ourselves hooked in, passionate, good thing to ask yourself is, what do I need to see? I've got something against a particular person and I'm, and I'm not going to forgive them. What is needs to be written in the sand for you? And so I, I believe, and like, like I say, you know, we're talking 2,000 years ago, but um, Jesus probably wrote just parts of the law there for themselves. Yeah. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. Do not murder. Do not steal. Do not commit adultery. Do not covet. 
Just putting it out there. But I love what Jesus did as well. So let's, sometimes we might be guilty of being the aggressor like the Pharisees. Sometimes we're the recipient where we're the person between these two places. Where you find yourself being caught by a rogue wave, where you find yourself just being taken out. One of the best things that you can do, according to Jesus, is just, again, breathe. Don't respond. Begin to write. <laughs> Some of us, maybe in the circumstances that you find yourself in your life right now, need to take a deep breath. Don't respond. Don't become aggressive. Don't say, I'm going to sort that person out. Just begin to write in the sand. Right? I don't know many people who would have done how Jesus did that. I know I wouldn't have responded like that. Yeah, yeah you know? It would have been defensive. Right in the sand. For some of you here today, maybe you need to just sit down. And begin to write. So sometimes when you find yourself the recipient of stuff, slow down. All right? Maybe you need to teach others perspective. He looks at the woman. He says to her, where are your accusers? They've now moved off. The crowd are probably still watching this. She responds, as we've already said, Lord. I find this quite amazing. This is quite deep. Hey? Nobody's given her a sinner's prayer. Nobody's taught her. She, through the experience of Jesus riding on the sand and the accusations and the way he has responded, comes to a realization, profound realization. Lord. How does that work? Lord. The actions that you and I do, as simple as Jesus is here, can have the ability to cause people to just, I get it. Lord. The Bible says to us that the Holy Spirit works, draws, like I said, nothing fancy happens here. She responds, Lord. Salvation takes place at the moment of surrender. That sounds like a U2 song. It is a U2 song. Yeah. Salvation happens at the moment of... When we just lay it down and make ourselves vulnerable and open to he who can cast the stone. Lord. A fundamental difference happening between the woman and the Pharisees. But, Lord. May I encourage all of us daily to just, Lord. Surrender. Is it, and I say this carefully, is it possible that part of the prayer that needs to be happening today 
is the surrender of the people of God, Lord. Versus, pharisaical, chasing our own doctrines and stuff like that and being right, Lord. Now, I want you to think about this for a moment. Is Jesus helpful to this woman? So he saves her life, and then he says to her, go and sin no more. Is that seriously helpful? Dorothy, I would want him to give me the textbook or, or the thing which says, this is how you stop doing this. Yeah. <laughs> I'd want him to give me the five steps to redemption, to, uh, to uh, getting delivered. To, um, uh, I'd want him to tell me that my husband is a jerk and he deserves it, but don't go and sin no more. I'd want him to say so much more than don't sin no more. His word is creative, yeah? Go and sin no more, yeah? Like what Joseph was saying? <laughs> yeah. Think about this for a moment. Imagine I've got problems with my car. You know, I say, I go to L. I say, L, you know, my, my car's not, um, my car's jumping a little bit and it's making a little bit of a noise. Uh, the window's not winding down. I say, oh, uh, yeah, this is my car. And he says to me simply these words, Mike, don't drive it anymore. <laughs> Love for him? This, by the way, guys, is what makes the scripture alive. This is what we should be digging into. It says, wow, what is going on here? Uh, how many of us would just gloss over that? You know, just don't sin no more. Go your own way and don't sin no more. Made her go away thinking. Yeah. Well, let's think about it this way. Um, according to Galatians, fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control, and so on, is a fruit which comes about as a result of the working of the Holy Spirit being alive within us. So in other words, a lot of the good things which we most want is a fruit which is a consequence of a root. The root being Jesus in us. Is it possible that sin, such as anger, uh, adultery, uh, whole lot of stuff we can think about, just like hope and love and faith is a fruit of a consequence of a root. Am I making sense? Uh, just trying to, okay. So love comes about as a result of something good happening here. Anger, we, we say to people, you've got to sort your anger out, and, we, and that sounds right, but we've got to say, what's beneath the anger that's causing this anger to come? Anger, uh, lust, adultery, all these sorts of things, likewise, are fruit of the condition. 
Jesus, now, now again, let me quickly stop here. When I hear the words Jesus saying to her, um, go and sin no more, I almost imagine my old school principle. You know, with the cane, don't do that again. Stern eyes through the glasses, don't do that again. And, and that's the picture I probably get, or maybe many of us get, when we see Jesus saying to her, okay, I hope you learned your lesson now. I won't be here next time for you. But I somehow think or feel or imagine that the look on Jesus' face as he says these words to this woman are probably smiling, open, you don't have to do this anymore. Love. Now, again, I can only really use myself as an example. Um, is uh, yeah, it's, it's forgiveness. It's 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 all coming through there. But if I use myself as an example, um, the anger that I experience within is often something beneath the surface, which maybe goes along these lines. Um, I don't know if I'm okay. And so you cut me off in the traffic, and I'm going to bomb you out because because you shouldn't do that because I'm actually not okay with me. Or the addictions or the stuff that we get into so often is talking to a problem which says, am I all right? Am I fine? It's talking to a, a, a thing of identity. When Jesus looks at her and he says to her, lady, woman, or whatever he calls her, go and sin no more. There's something underneath the surface here which says, you don't need to. You are fine. You are accepted by me. In the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve sinned, what was lost was identity. Identity lost. Here's an interesting thought. Sometimes when God gives you very little answers back, he might be saying to you, you're okay. You've got everything you need. Go and do it. And if you're desperately wanting God to speak to you and give you a textbook, and he just says, Jan, you're okay. And beneath this is this thing which says, you're okay. But the second thing which I think comes out from here is what happens immediately after the story. Jesus begins, so if we go after he says that to her, he begins to talk to the crowd, and he says to them, I am the light of the world. He who comes to me will have the light of life. This excites me now. Jesus, in saying to her, go and sin no more, is saying to her, Lady, woman, you're okay. Walk in shalom. Walk in peace. You are in light. And he turns to the crowd and he says to them, I am the light of the world. She is in light. Now, um, we're talking about age a lot today, so it's quite funny. But, um, and I'm almost done, so if you're getting a bit itchy. Um, 
I'm finding, especially in the last two years, and this is how I know um, that I'm getting older, Kathy, is um, when I go to a restaurant these days and I look at the menu, half the time I can't read it anymore. That's normal, yeah. I thought I was Superman for a while because all my friends and that were battling and I was still fine. Um, and uh, the, the other day I was in a restaurant and, uh, and really, really battling and I've been threatening that I need to go and buy a cheap pair of glasses or whatever. And somebody lent me theirs and I put their glasses on and I was free. <laughs> I could see. It amazed me at what's happened. Because suddenly, I knew what I wanted to order. (laughs) The difference was profound. Lady, go and sin no more. You are in light. So the Bible says to us, um, I've always thought about the law and thought all these commandments, what not to do. But Jesus' understanding, I think, of the law and, and God's understanding of the law is, if it says something like this, do not commit adultery, It means this, love your wife with all your heart as Christ loved the church. This is magical. Be remarkable. If it says to us, do not covet, what do you have? And celebrate and enjoy it and be alive in it. The gospel, what God gives us is permission to live. I don't quite get the story of, um, you know, that we're often asking um, is it all right if Christians sin and blah, 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 blah? Um, what will happen to Christians if they sin? I think it's the wrong question. The question is, why would you want to sin? If you are in the light and you can read the menu. And this is why John says in 1 John, he says, um, if you are in the light, we walk in the light. Ah, but we are human, if a man sins. But for John, it's just, it's almost this sort of thinking saying, why would we want to? Because we have identity, we are free. Now, do I do this? Do I live this? No, I'm like you. All right? But I need to remind myself daily that God releases me, frees me, just with almost one line to be. Remarkable. As we pray for our country, I believe that, and as I see our world, I sort of say, what is the hope? Our hope is the coming of Jesus, and our hope is found in people, salt and light, who daily are remarkable. Not because they've got a whip around them, because they see the menu. They see the light. So I might have shared this before, but just in closing, um, many, many years ago, I was, um, I was attending a men's group, and uh, it was from a couple of churches. Uh, there were about 12 of us. I was making big decisions about my life, about to, move, to leave corporate. And um, I'd shared that particular day, uh, this particular evening, Wednesday evening, and it had gone well. And um, I can still remember walking to my car, leaving this guy's home in Forest Hills. And uh, as I got to my car, there was sort of this almost pat on the back, well done, Mike, and it went well. 
And there was just this little whisper inside which says, yeah, that was perfect, but it wasn't beautiful. How's, how about that? That was perfect, but it wasn't beautiful. And then almost this thought, show the beauty of your heart. Jesus says to this woman, go and sin no more. Show them the shape of your heart. Now, here's an interesting thought. And this is just an interesting thought. There is another woman in the, that deals with Jesus who came from the same background as this woman. She too maybe had people want to stone her. She too, somewhere along the line, said, Lord. And she found the menu. And one day she comes to Jesus and she breaks the perfume. She is found after his death at the grave. She came to the place of Lord and in the space of just being opened, showed the beauty and the remarkability of her life. I'd hate to suggest it's the same woman, but who knows? Um, I'm sure there were many. May I encourage every single one of you today to just be aware of that Pharisee thing. Have absolute assurance in your faith, but be okay with, um, I'm working this out. May I encourage some of you who, wherever you're at, uh, might just need to say, hey, I need to just write in the sand a bit. The best response is no response. <laughs> or, or a, may I encourage every single one of us to be remarkable because you have been set free to do so. What does that mean? It, um, it could be the way you engage the first person you meet outside this church. It could be the phone call you most need to make. It could be it could be a multitude of things. But I've called you to be remarkable. I love that term. Lord, we thank you for this uh, time. and Help us to really just scrum these things, to um, dig deep into them. May we be found alive. Because our world just so desperately needs people who are alive. Our families need people who are alive. Our communities. Come, Lord Jesus, come.